So welcome, Lou. It's a real pleasure to to speak to you. We've met before, obviously, as a as a WEM speaker and as a as a member of the sort of the Wemski team in Italy. But welcome, Lou, to the the Wemcast um, podcast. Thank you, Lou. I think um, a lot of people will will know who you are, but I think it's probably worthwhile just quickly recapping on your amazing career and telling us a little bit about you. Um, so yeah, so born uh, born over in Lincolnshire. Um, and from a pretty young age, uh, I was keen, you know, on adventures uh, and the military as well, actually. Um, and I actually sort of, as a young lad, you know, teenager, watched the Falklands War campaign unfold um, and really inspired by, you know, the British forces down there and, and ended up joining the Marines uh, for a life of adventure uh, at 16 years old. Did six years in the Marines um, and then I decided to have a go at Special Forces Selection uh, two two SAS at Hereford, uh, managed to pass that. That was back in 1992. Uh, I was only 22 years old when I started selection, uh, and then served for 25 years um, in in the regular uh, component of the SAS in Hereford. Uh, an amazing career, and then during that time, always had a passion uh, for polar expeditions. I've been reading a lot of polar history. You know, I think my earliest recollection I was about 12 years old, uh, reading the small ladybird book titled uh, Captain Scott. And just, you know, reading about Scott and his men and their like epic struggle to be the first guys to, to get to the South Pole. Again, that, that really inspired me and left a huge sort of impression on me. And always wanted really from that from that young age um, to go down to Antarctica and, and experience a polar journey for myself. But just ended up with my military career, you know, being really busy. And the, the op- my sort of first opportunity uh, to go on a major polar expedition didn't come along until 2009. Uh, when I met Lieutenant Colonel Henry Worsley and he was planning uh, to go down in 2011 on the centenary of the original journeys of Captain Scott and Roald Armisen uh, and recreate what happened 100 years before Uh, and it ended up in the end with me and Henry we uh, retraced Roald Armisen's route um, to the South Pole and we raced against three friends from the military and they started from Captain Scott's hut uh, and retraced Scott's route to the pole and uh, yeah that was my first sort of experience you know polar journeys and i've just yeah really carried it on from there is um is lincolnshire being the fastest county in the uk a rich uh, hub of polar adventure travelers and explorers uh it's not no definitely not and um i remember like i you know i was about 14 and i just read a um, ranald fines book you know all about you know adventure and expeditions and, and again it really inspired me it was the start of the school holidays uh, my parents had split a few years before. My dad was living right up at the top of Scotland in Aberdeenshire. And normally on the school summer holidays, uh, me and my brother used to jump on the train and go up to Scotland and spend a few weeks with my, with my dad. Uh, and I decided, having read this book and been really inspired, that I was going to cycle uh, to my dad's house. Uh, and all I had was a, you know, a really basic bike, a rally grifter with like three gears on it. Uh, and I just saved up some pocket money. And I had a, a little backpack with a, just a little lightweight sleeping bag in it, no tent, nothing else like that, puncture repair kit, and that was it. And I, and I set off, and I didn't tell my mum because I knew she would uh, she'd say no. Uh, so I just set off and decided I was going to cycle to my dad's in Aberdeen, and say 14 years old, and uh, end of the first day, uh, got to a uh, public call box. You know, phoned my mum and said, Mum, I'm cycling up to dad's house. He's like, what? No, you're not. You know, get back here immediately. And I said, no, no, I'm doing it, you know, and the rest of it. And uh you know, and, uh, yeah, carried on. It took me, uh, took me five days. Uh, didn't have any lights on my bike. Look, it was summer, so I used to cycle through the hours of daylight, do about 100 odd miles a day. Uh, just come off the side of the road somewhere, sleep in some woods in my sleeping bag, 
They're just like washing in streams and buying a bit of food in corner shops as I pass them. Uh, and after five days, yeah, I turned up at my uh, my old man's house in Aberdeenshire and I walked into the house and he was like, Louis, you know, where have you come from? Like, I thought you were coming up in a week's time. Uh, I said, no, no, I've, uh, I've cycled up, Dad, from uh, from Lincolnshire. And he was like, no way. He goes, goes now nah, you come on the uh, on the train with your bike, haven't you? And you just cycled from the Aberdeen train station. I was like, no, no, I've cycled the whole way up. Uh, and it wasn't until he phoned my mum, you know, that he actually believed me. He was like, oh, my God, you lunatic. So that, that was probably my first, you know, big sort of uh, adventure, if you like, in a, an expedition at uh, 14 years old. I think sometimes the, um, the biggest step in adventure is making that first decision and setting off and making those first steps and those first pedals, isn't it? Once you're, once you're going, yeah. you've got a direction and you're heading somewhere you've, and you've set a goal. But it is getting over that inertia sometimes and just saying, well, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, you just you just got it. It is just getting out there and just doing it. You know, I knew if thought if I thought about it too much, you know, I'd psych myself out. I'd be, oh no, that's too, you know five hundred and fifty odd miles or whatever. So I'll be too far, and I've got the right bike for it. If I ask Mum, she'll say no. And and it was in the end, it was like, all right, I just got to get out the door and just get that first mile and get away from the house, get going, and, and it'll be all right. And, uh, yeah, and it was. <laughs> and it's amazing how um, books that you read at that age can have a quite a, a you know an, an impact on what your future holds. I think I've read the same Randolph Fine's books that you've read, but I was also and I wondered whether you were inspired. This is what my kids got, got me for my birthday. How whether you were inspired by these particular beauties as well? Oh, I loved them. Loved them. The little Commando comics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's what um, it was reading those that um, led me to find the Long Range Desert Patrol Group, and then sort of inspired me to go into into the uh, into the regiment rather reserve route but yeah. i think um i mean i hear that you've got your own book um that's recently been published that's um well tell us about it yeah so uh written a book uh titled endurance um and it'll be published by macmillan uh, it comes out on the 11th of june uh, and really it's a life memoir it, it covers you know right from sort of childhood through joining the marines and serving in the regiment uh, and then primarily focus on four major polar expeditions that I've done, three in Antarctica and also a, a crossing of Greenland as well. Um, so, yeah, really excited. Uh, you know, it's been a lengthy process, uh, 18 months of, you know, pretty hard work uh, to get it all together. But, uh, yeah, we're in the final proofreading stages now. And uh, super excited to see that come out on the on the 11th of June this year. 11th of June. Perfect. And will people be able to get hold of that for um, the usual sources, Amazon, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be available in all the major retailers. I think supermarkets, Waterstones, uh, and online on Amazon as well. I think it's available actually already for uh, for pre-order. Is it? Okay. So you can pre-order that on Amazon and it's called uh, Endurance by Lou Rudd. Absolutely. We'll put it in the show notes afterwards as well. Um, given your your lengthy and, um, and highly involved sort of military career and then the expeditions, you must have developed some fairly refined coping mechanisms that work for you um, in terms of dealing with stress, in terms of dealing with isolation. Um, and I think also what I'd like to sort of talk about in a moment is how you've dealt with those whilst also bringing up a family and, and, um, and having kids at home. So, you know, you know what's, what's worked for you in terms of um, stress relieving and dealing with isolation and setting goals, you know, sort of stuff that would be useful for people now who are sort of experiencing for what many of them will be the first sense of isolation. Mm. Uh, I think definitely the my years of military experience, you know, in the Marines and the and the SAS has 
really helped develop uh, my physical, uh, primarily my mental um, robustness. Uh, and I think one of the key things I, I've realized is you kind of look at some challenges and things and they initially they can be quite daunting when you look at the scale of, you know, certain challenges that you're going to take on. Uh, and I find the best way is to, is to break them down uh, into sort of manageable bite-sized chunks. So, you know, the, the long range polar journeys, for example, you know, when I, every time I've been dropped off, you know, on the edge of the continent, whether it's been on my own or in a team. Uh, I never think about the finish point or, or even, you know, the halfway point, um, you know, because it'd be quite overwhelming, you know, particularly if you, you know, when you did the spear expedition, I mean, that was 1,100 miles uh, to get to the far side of the continent. So to, to be at the start point, I think, oh, my God, you know, we've got you know two and a half months and over a thousand miles to ski here. It can be quite overwhelming, uh, you know, and difficult to process. Um, so what worked really well was was breaking the journey down into sort of more manageable bite-sized chunks. So um, so what I did, I broke it down into 10-day blocks. So when, I, when we got dropped off, all I thought about was the first 10 days. Um, and, and the reason I did that was my food uh, was packaged in these 10-day sacks. So 10 days worth of food. And in the, in the very bottom of each 10-day bag was this chocolate pudding. And uh, which is like a 10 day treat. So all I thought about was, right, get to day 10 and you get this chocolate pudding. Uh, and that's all I had to think about. You know, and I didn't think about any, anything beyond that, you know, and got, got to day 10 you know, I had this chocolate pudding. I was like, right, OK, now what we've got to do is the next 10 day block, you know, get to day 20 and you get the next chocolate pudding. Uh, and that helped really sort of break down quite an enormous task in, into something psychologically that was more manageable and, and less daunting um so so that so that worked you know kind of really well um, and was it always a chocolate pudding i'm not i'm not saying that in a sort of humorous way but it, it was always a chocolate pudding in so much as it was, it was always an identifiable clearly uh obvious marker that you'd you'd got to the end of end of one particular stage and you were starting the next yeah yeah for this it was yeah because it was, it was a freeze-dried you know chocolate but not as delicious as it sounds but it, yeah, it was a freeze-dried meal because everything had to be as light as possible um but it was yeah but it was it was my favorite pudding from the uh, the expedition foods freeze-dried range and so um and i wasn't eating pudding every day so i was only having a, a pudding once every 10 days again it was a it was a weight saving measure so it was a real treat there's about a thousand calories in this thing so it was uh, did it on any occasion did you get to your your chocolate pudding and actually not realize you'd actually done your 10 days as in it was uh, a surprise or did or did it seem like that chocolate pudding was almost you know too far away to even achieve yeah, no, you you were conscious of every day of getting close to it because you were going into that 10-day bag. At the end of each day, you know, you'd finish your 12 hours of skiing and you'd be knelt by your polk and digging out and your 24 hours of food and you'd be realised the bag's getting lower and lower and uh, you'd realise, OK, I'm, I'm only a couple of days away now from uh, getting to the bottom of this bag and, and accessing this chocolate pudding. So, yeah, so you became really fixated on it, you know, counting down the days. But counting down 10 days was much less daunting than counting down two and a half months. So. And this is on the Spear Expedition? Uh, it was, yeah, I did it on the spear. I also repeated it, actually. It worked so well for me. I repeated the same process on the uh, on the solo crossing as well, the Spirit of Endurance trip. And I'm, I'm curious with the spear expedition, if one of your teammates had asked to share that chocolate pudding, what would what would have been your reaction? Uh, definitely not. It was it was too precious to me. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it wasn't something to share. And everybody had their own, people were doing different things, their own yeah. coping strategies as well, and doing, doing similar things, you know, because I, I suggested this at the start. So, uh, a lot of them you know did a similar thing so one of your tips is breaking everything down into into easily manageable um blocks um yeah. so 
the the overall um, expedition project or challenge doesn't seem so enormous that's unachievable yeah not thinking about yeah the end and i guess it's you know that translates across to the the current situation and you're not getting too fixated a lot of people you know asking you know when's this gonna finish you know how long is this gonna go on for uh and i think if you try and avoid that you know um because no nobody's got the answer to that you know and there's nothing you can do to to change that either um so again i think another key coping strategy which works really well in antarctica is is only worrying about the things that you can change you know an impact and and just you know and, and the things you can't change uh, like white out you know people get really frustrated and i've seen it with teammates uh on expedition in antarctica you know when whiteout comes in and it is it's demoralizing you know you can't see a hand in front of your face and there's nothing to look at and you know and sometimes it can be in for three or four days in a row and people just you know really start to lose it and having temper tantrums and throwing kit around and you know, oh god damn weather but you know you, you can't you can't change it it is what it is um and a, and a great line that, that i got taught by a norwegian a guy called lars everson um was you know when you're down there you have to let antarctica into your heart uh, and, it, and it's so true and again that works really well for me is not getting frustrated and you know and worrying about the things you can't change just accepting you know the conditions and, and things you can't impact for what they are um you know i said right this is this is it you know we've got white out or we've got sastrugi or it's going to be uphill for the next few days and the sooner you accept it you know then then the easier it is then to, to cope with it i find uh you know and just get on with it i mean i think that's very true isn't it you you can control the bits you can control but um the bits that you can't control you've got to to weather let you know and i think antarctica is a great uh, classroom for that yeah yeah, yeah how do you um you know doing um these types of expeditions and challenges and operations in the military are huge are a huge personal stress on everybody so with your teammates as well how do you deal with um and what i found is that often people in teams go up and down but at different times so you know you might be up but your teammate is down and they're you know irritable short-tempered but actually you're finding that particular phase relatively straightforward you know and conversely later on you're feeling that and that they're, they're not how do you deal with people around you that are that are suffering the stresses of of what they're doing yeah so um so again if it's, it's kind of I guess a bit of a leadership um question i've done done a bit of leadership both in the military and on expeditions as well and and, and yeah and, and had people you know teammates that, that are struggling with the situation and things that i've i find you know if somebody's you know if they're suffering you know a bit of personal suffering is 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 bringing things back into perspective for them so um so what worked on the on the spear expedition uh was you know one of the guys just having a tough day feeling a bit sorry for himself you know just physically he was having a hard time uh i kind of just reminding them why we're there doing the expedition so on that particular trip we were fundraising for a military charity for uh, abf the soldier charity like I said to him, look, you know, remember we're, we're fundraising here for, for guys that have got life-changing injuries that I guess, you know, are facing a lifetime of challenge. Whereas, you know, we know that this expedition is going to come to an end in, you know, whatever, you know, weeks time and we're going to return to normality, you know, and our, our suffering is only temporary. Uh, whereas the people we're fundraising for here, you know, have got a whole lifetime ahead of them, you know, amputees, uh, people with PTSD, all that kind of stuff. And, 
and again and you find that re- that kind of helps people to think actually yeah i need to stop you know i need to stop feeling sorry for myself here and actually <laughs> you know and just man up a bit and uh, and get on with this because yeah it is you know and and, and also remind them that it's such a privilege as well i think to go on these big expeditions because there's so much time effort money goes into to pulling them together and you know and i said you will and you, i said you'll reflect back on this trip you know guaranteed for the rest of your life you know so you want to you know enjoy it as much as you can as well so so i find yeah perspective i think you know reminding people there's, there's bigger issues out there and uh, you know than feeling a bit cold and tired when you're skiing across the continent and i think that's uh, that becomes harder doesn't it when you're towards the, the middle of the expedition when you're at the beginning enthusiasm and fitness and and you know you're kind of your your body's ready for the you is ready for the challenge you've set yourself as you get towards the middle you know the the finish line is quite a long way off um Mm. and it's a little bit i would say um a bit like the the isolation that we're we're enforced with now because of covid um how how do you deal with that middle bit where actually you're you know you've you're a long way from home but you're actually no closer to to the end either yeah routine i think you know routine's really good um particularly during this isolation phase now so i've just you know while i'm here isolated at home uh, i've just set myself a routine and uh, i set myself a list you know sort of night before i think right this is what i want to achieve tomorrow you know i want to get out and do do my bit of exercise and uh, go out there i want to just go and clear out the attic or you know go and tidy up the garage uh, and just setting myself sort of tasks and routine uh, i find that helps you know to pass the time and i always make sure i don't actually crack all of my jobs in a particular day so i kind of okay. really have to, you know finish the day and think actually oh, so you've still got something that you need to do you know the uh, the following day so again you know i think if you cracked everything too soon uh, then you'd run out of things to occupy yourself and i'm sure this varies from person to person but how long is your list uh so for me i'll have about at least five five or six things okay. you know what i want to achieve you know that day and it might just be as simple as like i say you know get my exercise done or uh you know cooking dinner uh you know, or doing podcasts you know or doing podcasts yeah exactly you know and just yeah having a few things in the day and then it just makes you feel like at the end of the day you feel like you've at least achieved certain things you know and gives you a slight sense of satisfaction actually yeah i did something productive today i haven't just squandered this you know this whole day just you know lying around watching tv uh you know i've achieved a couple of things and yeah and, and i think that's for me just finishing the day thinking oh, actually, i've done a couple of things that are at least productive like you know like chatting to you mark Exactly. Thank you. Um, I want to roll back slightly to um, to your SF SF career, where you were doing operations and going to isolation, and obviously communications then for both tactical but also technological reasons weren't nearly as good as they are now. And the ability to communicate with home base and family. How did mm-hmm. you? Well, I guess there were two questions. How did you manage it personally, not being able to? speak to your kids and I, I and i bring this comparison out because a lot of our frontline medics won't be able to return to their family homes because they're, they're wary of, of bringing COVID back into the home how mm. did you deal with um that isolation when you were on operations and also how did your how did your family deal with that how do they you know not being in contact with you and, and not knowing what was happening to you either yeah so what worked well for us as a family so sort of from the family perspective first if i answer that one um i found what worked really well was you know sitting down with them uh before i was going to depart on operation or uh with the military or, or indeed an expedition uh and then fully explaining you know everything you know in great detail and then giving them the opportunity to ask any questions 
uh, as well, you know, and obviously there's only with military operations and there was only so much detail uh, I could actually give, but I would explain and say, look, you know, uh, I wouldn't be able to communicate, you know, for this reason uh, and explain actually that it's my personal safety um, that I wouldn't be able to communicate and that, you know, and, and as much as I could explaining what it was I was doing and, and I guess the higher purpose uh, of what it was. So, so they could relate to it and they could, okay, uh, and explain that obviously the risk had been mitigated as as much as as absolutely possible. Uh, so again, they, they found that you know reassuring because um, they were quite concerned about the solo crossing that I just did of Antarctica. Yeah, um, you know because all my previous trips have been team ones, uh, and they saw you know seen what had happened to you know obviously our great family friend Henry Worsley. Um, so again, they were very concerned about that. But once I took the time to sit down with them and say, look, you know, I appreciate it looks risky because of what you, know, you saw what happened with Henry. However, you know, this is how, how I'm going about it. This is what I've changed. And these are the processes I've kind of put in place. And, and just taking that time with them to explain, you know, how I'd made it as safe uh, as absolutely possible and reassuring them that I wouldn't be taking any unnecessary risks you know, and I would have bought the expedition if I felt it was getting, you know, too risky. Uh, and they, they found that, you know, re, you know, reassuring and giving them the opportunity to, to ask questions and say, well, if this happens, Dad, you know, what will you do? You know, if your tent blows away, you know, what are you going to do? And, and showing that I'd thought all of this through and I had a plan, you know, to deal with, you know, pretty much every eventuality and emergency, that they just found that, you know, really reassuring. Um, on a military perspective, um, you know, and again, I'm not particularly advocating this, um, but what works for me um, with dealing with being separated from family, uh, whether it be on a military operation or indeed away on expedition, uh, what, what I have to do, uh, and it works well for me, is I have to box up mentally uh, everything that I know I'm going to miss, you know, and everything I know and love. Um, and, and I basically have to box it up mentally and place it on the finish line. So for the solo crossing, I stuck it on the far side of the continent on the Ross Ice Shelf and said to myself, right, you know, the only way you're getting any of that back is by skiing a thousand miles across the continent and get to the far end. You know, there's, there's no other option to access everything, you know, you're going to you know, miss and love. And even like things that, you know, food cravings that I knew I'd probably get and things that yeah. I'd miss during a crossing. I said, pointless, you know, you know, torturing yourself and dreaming about this stuff or daydreaming about family and missing them because you're not going to have any of those, you know, for the next couple of months. Uh, so why, you know, why sort of torture yourself and worry about it? And so I, I, as I was able to do that, just literally block everything out you know, and admittedly, for the first few days, I'd still be thinking about family and civilization and creature comforts. But I found after about a week to 10 days, which is always my bedding in time on expeditions, I find the first week to 10 days, the hardest bit of, of every trip, where you almost kind of shed all of the creature comforts and shed civilization. And, and then you kind of get into your routine, you become completely immersed in the journey. And then I'm almost able to block out you know, my, my other life almost, and just really immerse myself in Antarctica and, and the trip. If it's a military job, again, I'm just immersed in the, in the mission uh, and making that a priority and just, again, put into one side, you know, all thoughts, because again, it can, that can impact your decision-making and judgment, I think, as well, uh, if you're thinking too much about family and friends and uh, et cetera. So I managed to park all that and then just, you know, put it all, say, mentally in a box on the finish line, and tell myself the only way you're getting all that back 
is by skiing to the far end. So, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of how we I'll package the whole thing up and just you know, stick it at the far end. Kind of like a mental chocolate cake at the end, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, I found when I um, when I came back from expeditions, I would have um, post-expedition blues and be quite actually because you're so used to being in charge of your environment, or actually being in charge and having a team of people, you know, yeah. who you're directing. You come home, of course, and you're you're pretty much bottom of the pile because you've been away for three months. You know, the household's been running without you, and actually you're a bit of a spare part when you come in, and actually, and, and the menial jobs are yours. How did you experience the same thing? And, and if you did, how did you deal with that um, personally? Yeah, absolutely. I get it all the time, go through the same thing as well, post-expedition blues. And uh, yeah, I think what helped, again, what helped me was um, the, the family, me and the family had gone through the process um, several times anyway with military deployments. Yeah. So getting out to Afghanistan, Iraq, etc., on like six-month tours. Uh, in fact, Northern Ireland as well early in my career. So the family had gone through this process of me going away, you know, for six months, then being you know, obviously a little bit stressed about and you know, worried, concerned about, you know, when I was away on operational tour, and then going through this transition phase when I get back, you know, having then to slot back into the sort of family life and then get used to me being around again and driving them all nuts uh, and the rest of it. And it, yeah, the first few times, you know, it was hard. And then as a family, we just, we just got used to it because I was doing it so much. Uh, with military careers so then then going on expeditions uh it was for them it was a very similar process so me going away then being a bit concerned uh, about what it was i was going to do because it was slightly high risk uh but then you know coming back and, and then sort of slotting in so i think we were quite fortunate we had lots of practice runs uh you know with military tours before i started doing it um but yeah every time i definitely you know go through a phase of post-expedition blues uh, and again, what works for me is I, I just have to fairly soon with after two or three weeks of being back and kind of putting all the post expedition business to bed is starting to spin up something else. Because um, what I find is, you know, particularly on, on Antarctic expeditions, a huge, you know, normally two year projects of planning and preparation and fundraising. And as you know, everything that goes into putting them together. So you're like full on you know spinning multiple plates and trying to pull these things together super busy uh which is all you know stressful but you know good fun as well and what what i find when you get back uh obviously if you haven't got this project your goal you you feel like you almost feel like you've lost an arm um you've got this big gap in your life suddenly there's no there's not this big target that you're aiming and striving and super busy you know gearing yourself up towards so i think for me what works well is i very quickly within a few weeks I need to start thinking about what am I going to do next what's the next big project uh, and then start working towards that and that fills that void uh, you know that's been created post-expedition so. so I think in, in you know if we, we, we relate that to uh, frontline healthcare workers it's about letting your friends and family know exactly what you're what you're going into and allowing them as you said to ask questions and stuff it's then keeping up regular communication isn't it and briefing them about what's happening and if you're having to live away making sure that you continue to speak to them and let them know and you know talk almost debrief them on on your day so that they can understand but i think touched on an important part that as people come out the other side of this especially people who have been working as healthcare professionals they might actually feel anticlimactic and rudderless because their challenge their their the thing that's been dominating their the horizon for the last month two months three months however long this lasts will be removed and 
it is quite a strange feeling then to to wonder what the heck you do next then but so moving on to the next project or moving on to the next job going back into normality is is their next challenge mm, yeah that, absolutely yeah looking at I guess you know when, when the, their careers where they want to go next as well you know but just, just getting a new focus you know having something uh to aim towards you know your next goal uh, i think it's really important you know because that just keeps you motivated and, and driven then to uh, to go on to the next thing it does uh, make me think that we should come up with a sneaky plan for them for towards uh, for next year whether they can do work work with world extreme medicine and yourself to do something sort of uh, quite different yeah yeah absolutely um you've touched on uh, who have you um when you've been growing up and 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 whilst you've been doing your career which particular people have remained uh, role models for you uh i think you know the polar pioneers um so right from the age of 12 you know reading about captain scott uh you know i found that absolutely fascinating and, and then as i was growing you know then reading wider uh, about the likes of douglas mawson you know shackleton uh, and, and modern day you know polar explorers as well you know borgie usland uh you know some of the stuff he's done mike horn uh, as well so those, those kind of people and um but yeah definitely i think shackleton's always been a, a central focus and then particularly when i met henry worsley because he was you know a complete shackleton nuts you know his house was is filled with shackleton memorabilia and uh and stuff and you know and I, I, you know sharing a tent with henry for two and a half months just the two of us you know by the end of it again i was completely converted on the uh, on the leadership skills you know of, of shackleton so i find yeah shackleton's definitely been a central you know theme um throughout my life and uh yeah quite cool i've ended up working for a company now called chuckton as well so. <laughs> and i can see in the background is that nansen and borg houseman's uh skis behind uh, you? that's armandson actually armandson oh, yes armandson and borg yeah yeah so <laughs> but um, um and in terms of Shackleton's key leadership tenants which ones have you held and and did henry held hold close to yourself yeah, I mean, things that I, I've been really inspired by, by, you know, Shackleton and some of his key leadership qualities, I think, um, leading by example. Um, I always prepared, you know, to, to muck in with the guys. He wasn't, you know, sort of keeping himself at a distance. He was very much in with the guys, prepared to do anything uh, that he was asking them to do. Uh, so I, I found that, you know, really inspiring. And again, that's a, a kind of leadership quality that I, I've used. Um, when I was planning the, the Spear Expedition, I had a hundred odd applicants apply for the, the five available places from across the army reserves uh, for the trip. So I had to run these series of like selection weekends um, for the guys, which were pretty hideous, you know, dragging tires around three kilometer loops for seven or eight hours <laughs> on a Saturday to give them a taste of, you know, what was coming. But um, I always made sure, you know, that I did uh, whatever I was asking them to do as well. So I'd be out there dragging tires as well and putting my through, myself through the same same process even though i didn't need to um with a guy so yeah lead, leading by example uh, i think is a key one um the other bit the other big one is uh, is patience uh, i think is a key virtue and i i learned a lot about that i was when i started the trip with henry in 2011 um, we had we had some delays uh, we, we needed like the full sort of season window to, to crack this journey um to the south pole we, we got delayed in punta Arenas. we lost like a week so i was starting to get a bit you know, panicky then, thinking, oh, God, we're running out of time. Then we got delayed in Union Glacier for about another 10 days um, before we eventually got flown out to our start point at the Bay of Wales. Uh, and once we got dropped off, I was like, right, Henry, we need to go for it. We've got to go for it. You know, we've got to smash out big mileage. 
you know, and get going, we need to do 20 miles today. And he was like, no, no, just calm down. You know, the polks are heavy, you know, this is the start of the journey. We need to build slowly, you know. And so, oh, no, but we'll never get there in time. We're going to run out of food. We're going to run out, you know, the winter's going to come, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I was like, you know, he was basically trying to restrain like a racehorse, and you know, I just want to go herring off. And, uh, and I learned a lot from that. And, you know, when we stuck to his plan and we just, you know, the first day we did like just five miles, you know, stopped and put the tent up and just slowly increased the mileage uh, and the distance, you know, bit by bit. And, and it worked out, you know, really well. And as the polks got lighter, you know, and we got used to the routine and the mileage started to come, you know, and then towards the end of the journey, you know, we were doing, you know, marathon distance. Uh, each day um, and I've seen you know since you know watched so many expeditions unravel uh, where people have just gone herring off at the start pushed too hard at the beginning uh, burnt themselves out uh, and not been able to complete their trip so so patience you know and, and knowing you know that start steady and, and the mileage will come later on uh, and I think, and I think that, that analogy holds really true now doesn't it because um, the isolation that and staying at home isn't isn't going to be a sprint it isn't going to be a one week um scenario it's likely to last much longer so it's going to be a marathon and boosting yourself and breaking it down into small incremental steps rather than looking at the enormity of the time but pacing yourself and realizing actually this is you know you need to set yourself daily tasks and daily challenges but you need to do it also the pace that's achievable and not disappoint yourself if you're if you're unable to do the 20 things that are on your list set yourself as you've said five yeah. and take it slowly and and to build up yeah yeah and, and and optimism as well i mean you know shackleton was always you know cheery and optimistic you know and it's part of the, one of the marines you know values is you know humor in the face of adversity and likewise with the sas you know you know david sterling when he created it in the second world war you know one of the tenants was you know humor and humility um, so again, I find that you know, works really well, a bit of humour and, and optimism, you know, regardless of uh, how dire things uh, seem to be. I mean, and Shackleton wasn't beyond stooping to the occasional Machiavellian um, practice in order to get the best out of his team, like uh, waking everybody up on the Fortuna Glacier every 10 minutes, telling them he'd had four hours of sleep or however long it was. <laughs> have you, have you um, sort of stepped into that sort of uh, style of leadership that, that Shackleton was, which was also part of his toolbox? Um, yeah, I've done a lot of like, you know, um, oh, we're just going to ski for, you know, a couple more hours, you know, uh, today and um, the crossing on the crossing of Greenland, actually, um, it was a great example of it. Uh, we, we ended up uh, bumping into another team um, led right at the end of the trip. I think we're about three days from completing this crossing of Greenland. Uh, we linked up with another team that were being guided uh, by a Norwegian guy, a guy called Bengt Rotmo, uh, who you may know. Uh, and we bumped into Bank, and he said, "Oh, if you want, we'll just we'll just travel together as as two teams, you know, for the final couple of days." Um, and he was like, "Oh, I, I've got this little shortcut. It'll save you know a bit of mileage and get us to the helicopter pickup point uh, on time." Oh, okay, great. You know, we'll tag on. Um, and uh, we he set we set off in the morning, and he goes, "Oh, we're just gonna you know ski um you know for a few hours today. We should make the pickup point later on today." And we didn't know exactly how far we had to go because we're on a slightly different route now. This shortcut. Uh, and after about 15, 16 hours, uh, still hadn't arrived at this place. And, you know, guys in his team were starting to say, hey, how far is it now, Bengt? He goes, oh, we'll just, we'll just ski over this way a little bit more. Uh, and, and that's all he kept saying. And 21 hours later, you know, uh, you know, we, we got there and we'd skied straight, you know, with a couple of short breaks for 21 hours. And it was a valuable lesson for me. You know, if I had turned to my team in the morning and said, guys, we're going to ski for 21 hours today. I'd have had a, you know, a rebellion, a mutiny on my hands, 
Uh, and, and likewise, he probably wouldn't with his team. But the way he went about it, oh, we'll just, we'll just ski here. And he was just so laid back and casual. We'll just ski here a bit more. And There uh, is a Norwegian way of doing that, isn't there? Which takes yeah. you, is where everything's hidden except for the, uh, the possibility of success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I learned a great man from that. Yeah, that was, I thought that was pretty cool, like, you know, the, the way he went about it. And uh, somehow got us all to ski, you know, for 20, 21 hours straight. So. <laughs> so, Lou, what are your, I mean, it's, it's, it seems that we're likely to be self-isolating and staying at home for um, at least three or four weeks. What mm-hmm. are you doing in terms of keeping physically fit? Um, so I'm making sure I do get out um, every day, uh, obviously just you know, playing within the guidelines. Um, so I'm just going out on my own. Um, so you know, big into the old mountain biking. So I'm fortunate I can cycle out from my house within a mile or so. There's a, a nice little wooded area with some trails. Um, so I sort of head up there and do an hour on the mountain bike. Uh, jogging, again, just like around the local area. And I've made a little improvised gym in the garage as well. So I've got a few dumbbells um yeah, mats you know i can do some sit-ups on and i've uh, wrapped wrapped a towel around one of the rafters in the garage roof so i can do some pull-ups um yeah and also what was quite good actually i've just started with a couple of friends uh, the calendar club yeah uh, yeah That's so yeah, first day of the month you do you know, so many press-ups so I mean, you can apply any exercise uh and stuff too i've got another friend who's actually doing it as a running version which is pretty hardcore you know the first of april you run a mile and the second and then obviously as you get into the 20s you know uh, that's yeah. Gonna be, yeah, pretty cheeky doing you know, over 20 miles each day uh, finishing but, with a 30 mile but yeah the calendar club's quite motivating so you've got a group of friends doing it and we're, video, we're videoing it to prove you've done it and then send it to each other and ticking off each day i think and it goes back to the to setting setting goals breaking it down into early early um sorry easy steps but also having yeah. a structure and making it achievable not impossible yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I find that and that's going to burn a whole month of exercise doing the calendar club. So that's a great way to uh, pass time. So you, like I, um, you know, if the year had been normal, we'd be all over the place, traveling, flying places, uh, walking, trekking and everything else. How are you dealing with the, um, and you mentioned about the calendar club and everything, but how are you dealing with the mental pressure of being stuck in one place? And also how are you dealing with the, the friction points that inevitably build up both on expeditions but also living in the same house with other family members because friction always occurs it's inevitable yeah yeah so um, i mean i'm using the time to do i'm lucky i've obviously been writing the book uh so that again i need i need to be sat at home behind my laptop you know which i'm always normally quite reluctant to do uh so i'm thinking well i've got no choice at the moment so it's given me a good opportunity to to keep refining the book and hopefully improving it um, so again, that that's you know occupying time. I've um, had to select forty photographs from about five and a half thousand images that I've got from the expeditions to go in as well. So again, that's been you know, and then getting family members you know that are here involved uh, in it as well, and saying you know right out of these ten pictures, you know which one do you think you know I should be uh, should be sticking in and that kind of stuff. So again, it, it actually involves you know quite a few of us uh, this whole sort of book project. So so that's that's working really well actually. Uh, yeah, and then board games actually almost like you know doing the kind of things you do at Christmas that you don't do any of the time during the year. Uh, you know, playing board games, jigsaws, you know, uh, is great, and it's also a good time for reading as well. Reading other, you know, polar history and uh, and books. Luck- luckily, I've got a, quite an extensive, you know, collection of, uh, of polar history books. Um, uh, again, catching up on all that stuff. So, so yeah, just a variety of things really. Keep myself, you know, mentally occupied. It's quite, it is quite, there is a silver lining to this in so much that we're getting to spend more quality time with our, our families. You know, if life isn't so hectic because we're not going anywhere, um, mm. 
I know it's it's very tricky for lots of people, but there's there's there is you know I haven't played board games since Christmas, but we're playing board games this end too, and and doing that type of stuff is really quite giving yourself the time and the space to do it. It's, it's absolutely amazing, actually, especially with your family. Yeah, and I find now actually I'm skyping you know grandparents and other family members that are elsewhere uh, and in touch with them more now than uh, ever have been, and we're all saying actually you know, this is great. We're communicating way more now. Uh, over Skype and things like that, and we should we should make an effort to to keep doing this uh, when all this is over. <laughs> I think you raise an important point, isn't it? It's taking some of the lessons that we're learning um, from our social fabric at the moment and taking them forward to when we when we do come out the other side, because there's some incredibly strong learning points from this that you you know you kind of I guess you feel like this is when people finished the second world war they came out with these learnings realizing how important family is realizing how important keeping fit and being healthy is and looking after yourself mm. I think um, our modern age pre-covid was was lend, tending us to ignore those because we're running at such a fast pace doing a multitude of other things but um, one wonders whether actually simplifying life somewhat can have some really yeah. quite positive outcomes for us all yeah, I think I think it's some real positives, you know, come out of it, and uh, my my cooking has improved no end as well, and, uh, and I've noticed I'm paranoid now about wasting any food as well. Yeah, yeah. Whereas before you'd be, I think, you know, a couple of days out of date in the fridge, I'll better, better throw that away. Whereas now, I think actually now, but not waste anything because just in case there are any, you know, food shortages. So yeah, but wasting much less, and uh, yeah, just spending more time in the kitchen, you know, being more creative and, and learning quite a bit as well. I mean, it might be, I might be deluding myself and we might be deluding ourselves. That's, um, I think I'm a better cook because of having to have cooked so much camp food because you've got limited resources. You've got to make it taste good. Otherwise, you're not going to eat it or it's not going to be palatable. Um, and I reckon that's actually made me a better cook as a result. I mean, would you say that or is, is this time at home where you're able actually to have more access to food, wider range of yeah. food? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of my expedition food is just freeze-dried, so it's <laughs> just adding boiling water, so yeah. uh, calling myself a cook on expedition is probably uh, a bit <laughs> But, uh, but uh, yeah, I just found it's nice. I just feel like I've got more time at the moment, you know, because normal day-to-day life is pretty manic for most people, isn't it? It's pretty full-on, yeah. fast and furious, and you don't, you know, you kind of do do things, you know, sort of half as well as you'd want to, like, but having the luxury of more time, uh, by you know, being isolated, I'm finding I'm actually opening recipe recipe books and following them properly and, and and learning quite a bit you know from it as well rather than just uh, throwing something in the microwave um and you've got your new role as operations director at uh, shackleton tell, tell us a little bit about that and then um and then um where that's going to take you yeah so you know interesting transition for me so just finished uh, recently in the last you know few months after 34 years uh, in the military and like I mentioned I joined the Marines at 16 so I never had any other job other than being a soldier uh, so yeah, pretty institutionalized having done that for so long um, so yeah so it's been you know pretty uh, pretty you know amazing transition to come out of the military and, and start this new role but perfect job for me I mean you know, a company called Shackleton obviously I'm a huge fan of Shackleton and the whole business is based around you know his ethos and uh, and stuff which is great um, they're primarily um, a clothing brand at the moment so they're making you know some pretty high performance uh, and stylish um, clothing um, and the idea with me coming on board as director of expeditions uh, is to open up a new new branch of the uh, of the business uh, offering experiences uh, essentially so we want to 
look to lay on uh, events and, and trips, you know, where clients can come and they can, can use the Shackleton clothing actually in the environment that's been designed for. Uh, and come on experiences and we're going to offer a whole range of tiered experiences you know from quite sort of high-end luxury experiences you know and with lots of hotels and nice food involved and uh, and stuff right the way up to people want a more hardcore authentic um polar experience where we can actually go out on on expedition for for several days and we'll use locations um like norway sweden greenland and iceland uh, etc um, and also looking to offer expedition support as well so people have got aspirations to maybe do an antarctic journey uh, and stuff and again we can provide support training uh, and preparation uh, for that kind of stuff as well so yeah so just starting to, to develop that looking to hopefully in the next two or three months uh, on the shackleton website start to advertise some of these uh, these experiences uh, and my plan will be the logistics planning and then actually going out and, and delivering them so yeah, so really exciting. Keeps me outdoors and keeps me fit and healthy. So I'm really looking forward to it. And something really positive to look forward to post-COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll do all the planning now and then hopefully we're looking to start these, you know, February, March next year. So hopefully by then things right. will have settled sufficiently that we can uh, we can start to do those trips. And Lou, we'll put this in the, the post-show notes, but Shackleton have a web page set up for this yet or...? Not, not for the experiences, no. It'll go onto their, onto their main website, so yeah. uh, it's Google Shackleton London, and um, you know, in the next, hopefully, hoping within the next sort of six to eight weeks, uh, the, the experiences slash expedition uh, part of the website will be up and running. We're just, we're just designing it right now. Okay. Well, let, we'll put that the main site in the in the show notes anyway. But please do let us know when the the expedition bit is is, is yeah. ready to go, and we happily share that as well. Fantastic. Lou, it's been, thank you for giving us your time today. It's been a real pleasure to, to catch up with you. And, um, you know, once we all come out of South Isolation, we'll, we owe you a beer. <laughs>